Garden for Life is our monthly gardening Q&A. Jeffrey Riley sat down with Jackson County Master Gardener Lynn Kunzman to discuss preparing your garden for winter. Lynn Kunzman, always good to have you back on The Exchange. Nice to be here. So, uh, let's see, why don't we actually start with uh, one of the uh, the letters. We have a letter in the pile that uh, came from the last time we talked, which was actually in late August. And it's uh, Jake uh, just talking about uh, good flowers to get in your garden. And uh, it brings up Nicotiana attenuata, or coyote tobacco, a beautiful mm-hmm. night-blooming annual. Trying to get some in the flower beds here at Sorec, he says. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of it in the flower beds at um, Sorec. Uh, right outside Greenhouse One, there's a ton of it that's gone to seed because uh, I, I threw seed out there uh, doing some gorilla seeding. And so um, there's a lot of that coyote tobacco there on the Sobrek campus that people can gather seed from. It's over by the, um, by the rain catchment system. And it's all the little, the little stalks are covered with little balls that are full of tiny, tiny, tiny seed. So, yeah, that's a good one for nighttime pollinators. Okay, that, that was the point, I think, where we talked about it in the first place. We were looking for things that would attract pollinators and uh, you know, right, bring them to your garden, right. even if, you're, if your interest is in having them pollinate other kinds of plants. The stuff that brings them right. in is important. That's exactly right. Yeah. So t- t- I want to hear more about gorilla seeding. Is this, <laughs> is this something you do <laughs> in other respects? Well, you know, I'm not, I, I should, probably shouldn't talk about that. But, uh, uh, you know, I have a lot of extra wildflower seeds. I, we have a bed that we had to take out by one of our greenhouses because the plants that were growing in that bed were growing under the floor of the greenhouse and into the greenhouse itself. And so um, I have been putting, like, native wildflower seeds out there just to have some place to put them. And they're not getting any care. They're just whatever comes up and grows is growing there. So I've got some bunch grasses and some Oregon sunshine and a lot of that coyote tobacco, which did just great in the heat and the dry. Um, it just didn't need a lot of care at all, and it, it kind of went crazy in there, along with the evening primroses. So, yeah, it's uh, that's so that's what I call gorilla seeding. You know, if I have extra seed in my pocket or. Uh, I'm wandering around campus or, or out, out in the neighborhood, and I throw seed into open places, you know, mm-hmm. so it can grow. And the bees and the butterflies will have something to, to munch on. Well, you were talking about how well it grew, and I find in comparing notes with other gardeners around the neighborhood that, it, that just certain things seem to happen to everybody um, same time. For example, it seems like everybody I know who grew cucumbers this year had quite the abundance of them. Right. Yeah. I had, I had cucumber failure, but everyone else I know had a, had a ton. And so uh, I, I, we badly overwatered our garden this summer. And, um, and so it, it, it took a toll on the plants. Um, but um, yeah, people have, people got good crops of cucumbers. I saw good crops of tomatoes because we donate, you know, master gardeners each week all through the summer, we donate food, uh, people's excess produce to access. And they were, they, people were bringing in pounds and pounds and pounds of eggplant and peppers and tomatoes and, um, I mean, just boxes and boxes of it went out to access um, once a week. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a, it was a pretty abundant year, even with the kind of wacky cold weather in June and here in this month. You know, um, it's people have been having good success. Yeah, that late start kind of threw things. I know I still got, and I've got yeah. large tomatoes now, but they're green, green, green. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Into October, yeah. And then the weather cooled down, right, so right. that they're just sort of staying green. <laughs> right. But re- just remember, you can always pick all of those and bring them in and, and lay them out somewhere, you know, and let them ripen over over November and December. Uh, it's, 
perfectly okay, and they'll taste better than the ones you buy in the store. Which, actually, I did. I took your advice on that, and I took the vines in last year, and I hung them in strange places in the house and on, you know, indoor <laughs> wash lines and stuff like that. And what do you know? I think I, I think I consumed my last tomato along about March or April. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah, I mean, the longest I've ever uh, gotten them to go is, like, January. But I, I pick them off the vines. I don't leave them on the vines. So oh, okay. Um, I don't have I don't have room to hang ah, the vines. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll start talking about in the people, house. Space, people yeah. with more storage space than me can do that. If you had a root cellar, that's a perfect place to you know take something like that and hang the vines and let them just do their thing. That's great. Garden for Life here on the Jefferson Exchange with uh, Master Gardener Lynn Kunzman, who is also statewide Master Gardener of the Year. We don't have ourselves live right now, but we can certainly take your emails for future discussions at jx at jeffnet.org. Let's see, back to some of the other uh, uh, warm season adventures. Cucumbers turning yellow this year. That was something I had happen for the first time and had to go look up what was going on there. What's, what's... Oh, well, yeah, if they get kind of overripe, that's what they do because they'll they'll actually harden up and... And, you know, as they're maturing their seeds, the seeds get real hard in them. It's kind of like a, a gourd or a squash. Mm-hmm. So when, you're, when we're picking cucumbers, we're picking them immature to eat in salads and fresh and, that, and, and to make gazpacho, you know. <laughs> but if you let them go, yeah, they're going to turn yellow and kind of start getting tough and, and woody and, and all those things that you expect of, a, of, a, of another curcubit. Yeah, it was. I noticed that. Uh, yeah, just just even trying to bite through the outer skin on the ones that have gone yellow was was uh, a bit of an adventure for the teeth. Right, uh, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's always best to peel <laughs> yes, first. They yeah, they get quite tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, you know, I was also reading that that uh, sometimes the yellowing can be caused by uh, by not having water. We did have a brief period when we spent a couple of days without water in the garden by accident. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Now, you mentioned overwatering your garden, which which brings me up to another question about adjusting water schedules. I mean, when you're going out of the summer season, you might have a few things in the garden for the winter or something. I mean, right. we're, on, we're on timers for the first time this year and wondering how to gauge when to get off timers, if at all, for cold season plants and just let nature do the work right. or, or what. Right, yeah. So, I, you know, for the winter garden, we don't we don't irrigate uh, our winter garden. If, if I feel like the plants, we've gone a long while between rains, I'll go out with a hand sprinkler and, and kind of uh, water them. But in the hot months of summer, we, we were doing, in our garden, we had taken out the weepy hose that we had in the beds because it was clogged, it was old, it, w- it needed to be replaced, and we didn't have time to put down new drip. And so we put overhead sprinklers, and we had those things running a lot. And it, it turned out it was way too much. And, um, you know, our, our tomato vines actually, some of them down in the lower reaches of the garden actually drowned which looks a lot like uh, a plant is, is, you know, starving for water. It's not the case. Oh. Uh, you can drown a plant, and it looks exactly the same as if it were drying out. It just gets, dark, you know, brown and does icky things. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, we, we just we had the sprinklers running so much because of the, the high heat there in the center of the summer, and, um, and then we, didn't, we failed to turn them back. You've got to dial them back as the temperatures come down because you just don't need as much water, and so we... We, we drowned a few of our plants. <laughs> <laughs> Even master gardeners can make mistakes. You that, know? That's actually yeah. heartening to know. It lets us know that, yeah. that, you're, that you're human. And, and, uh, I don't know. I, you know. I mess up all the time. Yeah. All right. So perfection's that's, elusive that's, even for the best of us. That's correct. That is correct. So, uh, so here again, I, I could hear your voice in my head from from when we started this years ago. But but uh, have a moisture meter around. That's the easiest way. And I have noticed, too, by the way, there are bad moisture meters that fail. 
That's right. Right. Yeah. So you want to have a good moisture meter and, and they're really helpful. Um, that temperature meter and a moisture meter are the two uh, things that I would recommend for folks. And then you can and then you can really get a, a good idea. And it's you know, it's it's funny because um, some things that there's a lot of there's a lot of research now up at OSU going on about dry land farming. And they're and they're they actually have test farms where they're growing um you know, me- melons even, which you would think is a crop that needs a lot of water. Sure. Um, melons, tomatoes, they're growing all these things um, in dry land conditions where they're just, you know, watered by whatever ambient rain is coming down and then um, mulched so that, you know, that moisture is retained, but they're not getting extra water. And um, in some of the trials that, that some people are doing, they they brought in some um, this one fellow who was he he actually is a uh, manager of one of the local nurseries up there in Corvallis. He he did some stuff and he had they had some trials done where they had chefs local chefs tasting the produce that was either dry land farmed or farmed under normal irrigation conditions, and almost uh, all the time the chefs preferred the things that were dry land farmed because the sugars are all so concentrated. Right. The plant is just it's just pumping every bit of moisture it has into its fruit. And um, and all of the sugars then are the fruit might be a little smaller, but it's so much more flavorful. So um, interesting uh, to think about, you know, trying some of that down here. Well, this is something bees learned long ago. Right. I mean, they they, they like the late season nectar because it's sweeter. It's more concentrated. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Lynn Kunzman is back with us for Garden for Life here on the Jefferson Exchange. We can take your emails for future sessions at jx at jeffnet.org. I want to make sure we get the Fall Harvest Festival and Native Plant Sale uh, plug before we let you get away here in a couple of minutes. So tell us about it. (laughs) So uh, this Saturday, this coming Saturday during the eclipse, um, (laughs) we are out at SORAC at the uh, 569 Hanley Road in Central Point from 9 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon. We're going to be selling native plants. There are going to be um, holiday things for sale in our big greenhouse. There'll be Christmas cactus uh, starts for sale and garden art. Um, and, oh, uh, Sanctuary One is bringing goats for kids to, to look at and pet. And there'll be food, a food cart and oh, lots of stuff going on out there at the Extension Center. So everybody should come down and get a native plant to put in your yard. It's a perfect time of year to plant native plants. They spend the whole winter really growing their roots, and then in the spring they really take off. So that's a uh, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. I see. So basically, mm-hmm. people show up when it's darkest at 9 a.m. during the, uh, right, during yeah. the peak of the eclipse. Yeah, <laughs> come in the dark and do do some dark shopping. That's right. right. <laughs> uh, wanted to ask you about oh, one of the things that uh, can be planted in October, and yay, I remember to do it last year and got a good crop this year is garlic. Yeah, put your garlic in this month. That's a really good time. October is a very good time to put it in. Um, I put it in later, but it doesn't get as big as if you put it in in October. Remember, it's a bulb, so the same time you're planting your daffodils, you should be planting your garlic, right? It's, 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 a, it's a, fall, a fall planted bulb, except that you get to eat it 
Uh-huh. So yeah. it's got a double double bonus there. <laughs> so. And when you know, I, obviously, I have the stuff that I grew this year, which wasn't huge. And, I, and I'm just right. trying to think about uh, about clove sources for for replanting. Is that I don't know. Should I go to the farmers yeah. market and get a nice big? So one the and... farmers market. The, there are probably some growers that have different varieties of garlic. If you want to try different varieties, certainly seed catalogs all sell lots of different stuff that's grown and it's nice and large. I just I just take my garlic apart and plant it you know i have tons of it hanging in my um on my back porch and i just pull those down and break up the heads and you plant each individual clove that becomes a new head of garlic um so you you have to break that apart and and plant the individual cloves and i've never had any problem i don't care if they're huge or whatever um they're really they're really pungent they're really tasty and I kind of have the, you know, the ones that do well in my Medford garden. So. Yeah, it, it's fun having your own garlic around the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, big time. Yeah. So, uh, another thing I was wondering about is uh, we've talked in the past about uh, getting to the cooler season now and uh, doing a chop and drop. And I, I took all the last of the cucumbers out a while ago and wasn't quite sure how to chop and drop. So I just cut to the, to the surface level of the, of the vines that are still there? Yeah. Yeah, you just cut them and, and you can either, either lay them on the garden bed um, or you can chop them a little bit with a pair of shears so that they break up a little faster on the garden bed. And then um, a lot of people just sow their um, cover crop seeds. If they're going to put a cover crop in, um, they, they sprinkle those in amongst the, the vines that you've chopped down. So they, prov- they provide a little cover from the birds getting at your seed. Um, or you can just cover them with a mulch of straw or, you know, hay, hay, alfalfa, whatever mulch you want to use, compost from your yard, and that will all break down over the winter. If you're doing a green manure crop where you're seeding and something's growing in those beds, something like um, daikon radish or um, red clover or fava beans, one of the cool season cover crops, then in the spring before your garden is ready to plant, you'll go out and you'll cut that down or you'll cut it when it's like a third in bloom if, it, if you don't want it to reseed. And you cut that down and lay it in the, just let it decompose in the bed. And, and you can pull that back and away from the garden beds when you're ready for them to heat up in the spring and then push it back. You know, once the plants are established, if you have some of that left over, it just becomes kind of a mulch. All right. Always something yeah. interesting in the garden at any time of year. Lynn Kunzman, <laughs> Jackson County Master Gardener. It's always good to have you for Garden for Life. Really fun to be here.